1: Tommy's here. I am here. The show today brought to you by the Circa Million and the Circa Survivor Pools out in Vegas. $14 million in guaranteed prizes. No rake, Uh, If the entries go above the guarantee, all of the extra money will go into the prize pool. You've got until September 9th at 2 p.m. to enter. Uh, The Circa Million is pick five games every week. NFL games against the spread at the end of the year. If you've got the best record, you win a million bucks. But they've got another $5 million in guaranteed prizes. The Circa Survivor Pool, $8 million guaranteed to the winner or winners. Uh, You pick... Uh, one team each week to win. No spread. You can only pick that team one time during the season. If you're the last person person standing, $8 million. Uh, the Circa Million and the Circa Survivor Pools out in Vegas, the biggest and the best contests going. You do have to be out there to enter, uh, but weekly picks can be made through uh, a proxy from anywhere. Tommy, I'm going to be out in Vegas at the end of next week. And I'm going to go visit Cooley after I'm in Vegas for two days. My oldest son, who lives in Los Angeles, he's going to meet me in Vegas. We're going to we're going to do a quick two days in Vegas. My niece lives out there, so I'm probably going to see her uh, and her brand new baby. Um, we're going to try to work that out. Uh, I'm going to stop by the Circa. I'm going to enter each of these pools, uh, say hello to our good friends, Tim Murray, and of course, hang out with Aaron a little bit, the producer of this podcast, and I might just gamble a little bit as well. That, a little bit. That might happen. You know, I, <laughs> I should have done the coolie piece first, because when I'm in Vegas, and you and I have been in Vegas together uh, before, yeah. I just don't sleep much. There's not a whole lot of sleep. Anybody that has the, you know, the gambling Jones uh, that I've had throughout my life, especially when you're at a casino, um, you know, you go up to the room and you're trying to fall asleep. And then you're like, damn, I'm going to go back downstairs. And (laughs) it just is not a lot of sleep uh, that is had. Um, but I'm looking forward to, uh, a couple of days in Vegas and then a couple of days with Cooley in Wyoming. Um, and then I will be back. So by the way, heads up end of next week, uh, Thursday, Friday, and then the following Monday, um, more likely than not, we won't have shows, although it's possible. I'll record a show before I leave. When's the last time you were in Vegas? Because you, there's, there really hasn't been a fight to cover.
2: The Mayweather Pacquiao fight.
1: Oh my God. That's how many years ago is that?
2: Uh, I don't remember. I don't remember. Here's what I remember about it. I was sick. I had a leg infection. I remember that. And I checked myself out of the hospital to go to a cigars and curveballs event that Monday night. And then flew to Vegas on Tuesday. And then flew back Sunday and checked myself back in the hospital.
1: I remember that now. I do remember that. The fight, (laughs) by the way, was 2015. May in 2015. You went. I did not go. That was a one-person deal. And um, Tommy went uh, because you and I were doing the show at the time. Uh, There were a couple of those fights where you and I were both out there together. But that particular fight, you were were out there.
2: We were both there for Mosley
1: Mayweather, right? Mosley Mayweather, Pacquiao Hatton. um, Yeah and there may have been another one. Oh, yeah, the, the, the Mosley, that was – I sat with you at that fight. You and I sat yes. together, you know, uh, at that fight in the media section. We were—we had pretty good seats for that fight, if I recall, in the media section.
2: Well, the media section, the seats aren't as good as they used to be, but they're still good seats.
1: Yeah, they're still good seats. Um yeah, it's been several years since I've been out there as well. Yeah,
2: i got a question to ask you about flying because I'm about to fly across the Atlantic uh, to head to Spain. This is my last podcast. I know it is. Until September.
1: I, and, and, unless you feel like one day you just want to call in and tell me how the you know, summer in Spain is going.
2: <laughs> okay. Anyway, I noticed this when I was flying back from Key West. And I was sitting in an aisle, and there was a, and my wife is sitting next to me in the middle, and there's a woman sitting by the window. And uh, she has the window down the entire time. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, when did we as a society become so bored with looking out at the sky at 35,000 feet in the air?
1: (laughs) It's funny, you know? Yeah.
2: I mean,. I like looking out
1: the window. Yeah. It doesn't
2: happen that you're not up there that much.
1: Well, and if you're sitting, you know, in coach um, or, you know, premium economy, and you have the seats where there is somebody at the window and somebody in the middle and somebody on the aisle, it's the person that is next to the window that kind of controls the window um, situation. And, uh, you know, I... I can tell you this, the flight attendants on long you know transatlantic flights, the windows are down so people can sleep
2: uh, now yeah, I understand yeah on on red eyes, I understand
1: right, but I'm with you. I love when look from thirty five thousand feet uh, if it's clear and I can see, great, if it's just clouds I'm looking at, not interested, but I love looking out a window when I'm flying into a city. By the way, I love looking out the window when I'm flying into this city. You know, especially certain – that that runway, the, the Potomac River landing at DCA, at Reagan National, is one of the most beautiful landings of any landing at any airport in this country, I think. You know, when you're coming down and you get, you know – uh, the Monument and the Kennedy Center off to the left. And, by the way, it's not the easiest landing for pilots. You know, they have to no, make that not. hard right. Dicey... Yeah. It's a
2: dicey airport to land at. Yeah, yeah. It's
1: it's that hard right turn, and then they got to get it down quickly, and it's not the longest of runways either. Um, but I love, you know, as you're flying down the Potomac, or, by the way, if you're coming up the Potomac from the south, um, just looking out and seeing the city and trying to identify, you know, different areas and neighborhoods, many, my, my house, both currently and my house previously are in the flight path of that landing, you know, the, the, the beautiful landing into DCA. So there always, there have always been planes flying over my house. And when I've been on one of those planes more times than not, I can find my house, certainly can find my neighborhood on that landing. I like looking out the window, too, is my answer to your question. I've
2: done that, too. When I used to fly in and out of BWI a lot when I lived in Columbia, uh, I remember finding our house because we were clearly in a flight path one time on a landing. And I came home and I told my wife, I said, you know, we should sell advertising on our roof (laughs) because you can see our
1: roof (laughs) from from the Uh, airplane.
2: That's a good idea. What did she say? Uh, she said, "Jesus, you're such an idiot." <laughs>
1: yeah, what did she say about the Hemingway contest? Did she was she all for this or not?
2: She was a great soldier. She was on board mm-hmm. for the whole thing, and basically, you know, sat there and uh, for three nights in in this in this hot weather, you know, sharing a, a, a bar stool with me. Uh, and uh, and she was a trooper. She was really good. I mean, she, much more support than I deserved.
1: Tommy's got a really good column. He talked about it on the podcast on Wednesday, but he's got an excellent column uh, in, the, in the Times. Uh, you can access it through his Twitter account or mine. I just retweeted it this morning, um, and it's a really, really good column. I mean, a lot of these stories you told the other day, um, uh, I just, I think that, It's hard for me to believe that anybody had a better story or a closer connection to, you know, Hemingway himself, as you did interviewing the old man. Um, But like you said, there is uh, there's an investment that needs to be made by you in this contest before they take you seriously. So we're a few years away from you being a legitimate contender. You you weren't even on the board. Before this contest no. in four or five years when we're talking about it, you may be one of the favorites. Now, my question, well, I'm
2: not doing You're no not... more, well... no more. The story alone should have made me a finalist.
1: <laughs> I was going to ask you that if you were to go back and do it again, would you go with the same 32nd story?
2: You know, I don't think so. I don't know what I would do.
1: Is there a better way that you could you know, have presented this story? It work. Is there a a different way that you could have presented the story? Did you have any pictures of Fuentes? Yes,
2: I had a blown-up picture of me and the old man. Yeah, You know, that's proof, because anyone could go up there and and say that they they hung out with the old man and the old man in the sea, but I, I brought receipts.
1: Tommy, um, in his uh, final paragraph of his column, you know, discussed that he is uh, beginning his uh, end of summer Spain trip for a month. Um, And he called it uh, a decompress Danny retreat. Um, But then you end with, you know, a big bang. I expect big things from Josh Harris and the new Washington commanders when I get back. We're all expecting some big things. Actually, I don't have any expectations. What are reasonable expectations for the first few years of new ownership? There's a question for you. What's a reasonable expectation level? Super Bowl is not reasonable. You know, one of the best teams in the league record-wise over the next three years is not reasonable. What's reasonable? Here's
2: what's reasonable competent and the best front office personnel you can get, the best, the best that's available out there. I expect this ownership to pursue the best personnel people they can find. And along those lines, I expect them to do the same thing for a coach, for a head coach, the best that they can get. That, that's, you know, everything else will fall into place on the field If they do those things.
1: Yeah, Uh, I treat your fans, your customers well and be humble. That's the starting point because the fans, the customers have been treated poorly and the team has been arrogant for so long. So start with just treating people the way you would like to be treated and be humble. You know, second is what you just said. I want them to go out and hire the best that they can hire to run the football operation. And then I want that person to truly be, along with the head coach and the players, the faces of this franchise. Okay. I don't want it to be ownership, I don't want it to be anybody on the business side of the operation. Um, I want somebody who is a bona fide NFL, you know, senior VP of football operations and let that person make all of the football decisions, including hiring the coach. Now, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying to to Josh Harris, you can't be involved in the hiring of a coach. He's the owner. Of course, he's going to be involved. Um, But I that's that's. To me, those are the expectations, and if those things are priorities, then you're going to end up with competence, and by the way, some compassion uh, for a recovering fan base, and uh, and I think yeah. people will feel good about it that they they are you know they are rooting for or now they're back rooting for you know a normal functioning NFL franchise. In terms of the results on the field, that'll be determined by the person that they hire to run football operations. By the way, did you see, and I talked about this yesterday, did you see the Sean Payton comments about Nathaniel Hackett? Have you seen those yet? Yes,
2: I did. You know, everyone worships at the altar of Sean Payton, but this arrogant son of a bitch got suspended for a year from coaching. Let's not forget that.
1: Well, Greg Williams had something to do with that, didn't
2: he? Yeah, well, 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 (laughs) Greg Williams was a lone wolf. No, I know. Sean Payton seems like the kind of guy who's hands-on with everything.
1: I talked about this. I mean,
2: he may be a great coach, but he's also full of himself.
1: There is no doubt he is full of himself. He's also, as you said, a great coach. He also had... A Hall of Fame quarterback for all of those years in New Orleans Um, you know we are seeing look I'm not gonna take anything away from Bill Belichick I think Bill Belichick is at the top certainly if he's not the top he's in the top two or three in the conversation but he is 500 with one playoff appearance and no playoff wins since Brady left Foxborough for Tampa Uh, Sean Payton had Drew Brees. And by the way, not every one of those teams was a playoff team. You know, Sean Payton, the the Saints had, I remember this because their defense was horrendous. And it, it was part of the conversation about, you know, the elite quarterbacks and can they overcome you know, uh, subpar everywhere else on the team. Well, Drew Brees and Sean Payton together couldn't. There was a three-year period, I want to say it was 15, 16, 17, something like that, where they went 7-9 and nine three straight years and missed the playoffs. Um, so, uh, you know, it, which may also speak, by the way, uh, to, to Drew Brees, who is a Hall of Fame quarterback, no doubt. But I never felt like Drew Brees was at the level of the top three or four elite quarterbacks in the game during his time. A great quarterback, Hall of Fame quarterback. Um, but I don't know. I think. Not a
2: Brady, not a Rodgers. I think a
1: Rodgers and a Brady. Not a Manning. I don't know that they would have gone seven and nine with those teams. But for those that missed. Now, yeah, go ahead.
2: Now, we've discussed this many times, but I, I think it's always worth warranting is the list of coaches who have won Super Bowls with more than one quarterback is a very short list. Yeah. It's Joe Gibbs.
1: That's it. Yes.
2: Yes. I mean, uh, Chuck Noll won with the same quarterback. Vince Lombardi won with the same quarterback. Bill Walsh won with the same quarterback. It was George Seifert who won with Steve Young, not Bill Walsh.
1: Yeah, I know that. Yeah, I, I so, and, and and Shula, you know, got you know to another Super Bowl without Greasy yeah. with Marino, um, but didn't win it. Um, Landry had, um, you know, Morton in a Super Bowl that he didn't win. The Super Bowls that he won were with Staubach at the helm uh, yeah. when they won uh, yeah. Super and, Bowl and and six, actually, and then
2: Parcells won with two different Yeah,
1: that's right. There's, exactly. Parcell's one with Sims and Hosteller. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So we are we stand corrected on that. Um Yeah. Uh, I I know. So uh, on the Sean Payton thing, for those that missed it, Sean Payton eviscerated Nathaniel Hackett and the Broncos staff and organization for um, for being what he called uh, a part of, quote, one of the worst coaching jobs in the history of the NFL. He said, quote, it doesn't happen often where an NFL team or an organization gets embarrassed and that happened here. Part of it was their own fault relative to spending so much bleeping time trying to win the offseason, the PR, the pomp and circumstance, marching people around and all this stuff. We're not doing any of that. And then he made reference to the 2000 Redskins. Um, He said, remember when Snyder put that dream team together? I was with the Giants. I was a young coach. I thought, how are we going to compete with them? Deion Sanders is there now. That team won eight Games or whatever. Um, just put the work in. Uh, I mean, just, yeah, there is. Look, Sean Payton, we've talked about this many times, including the last week or so. Uh, and that gets into the, you know, hiring of a key football person. Um, Sean Payton on XM Sirius, the Adam Shine show, you know, a few months ago. Uh, said that one of the Washington bidders reached out to him to gauge interest. And you and I talked about that, and I said I thought that was kind of Bush League. You know, Ron Rivera's coaching that team. That's you know, that, that's kind of, I think, within the coaching circles, that's a no-no to say that you were contacted yeah. by ownership you publicly. You
2: don't go after a man's job like that. Right. Yeah.
1: But more importantly, now I think there's a pretty good chance – that it was the Harris group that reached out to Sean Payton because Tommy, there's only th- it was either Harris Apostolopoulos or Tillman Fertitta. They were the only bidders. I don't think Bezos. I don't think Bezos ever was. I don't think he's, he was ever close to even thinking about bidding on this team, if he were even going to be allowed. So, I I forget if I talked about this with you the other day. You know that Josh Harris, who's in sports as an owner, Magic Johnson, who's in sports as a legend and an owner, they have reached out to people about being involved in running the football operation here. There's no chance that they haven't, right?
2: Yes. Yeah, I mean, and and on the business side, too, I mean, they have. I mean, this is a guy who owns two sports, you know, two – North American sports franchises, uh, and uh, owned a piece of, of the Steelers. Right. I mean, he, he knows the people in the league, okay? He probably knows who's the hot guy in front offices and who's not. You know, he knows who he probably wants and, and, and who he doesn't. And I'd be disappointed if, if Josh Harris had not reached out to Sean Payton Right and gays, and not Gage his interest, right. I wouldn't want it to be public, but yeah
1: you know, as arrogant as he is, Sean Payton also has a very um he he's very knowledgeable about this particular market and what this team meant to the city. He spoke about that in that interview when he said that one of the bidders reached out to him. And he talked about how great Washington was when he was in New York with Parcells and how it's just incredible to, to watch how the thing has crumbled um, over the last quarter century. You know, not... I don't know. Ron, know. Ron knew it too, but Peyton, because he was in the division and with Parcells, would have had a real keen sense as to what yeah. this uh, opportunity was. But... You know, they couldn't do anything, and he had to take the job in Denver with, by the way, a you know, pretty strong ownership group as well, um, and that ownership group did not hire Nathaniel Hackett. Remember, he was already hired when they took over the team, uh, the Walton Penner group, last summer. But, yeah, they've uh, somebody is going to have soon a list of, of people or a very short list of people that Josh Harris and Magic Johnson have reached out to, don't you think?
2: Yes, I do. Now, I I, I believe that uh, if they if they do their due diligence, Jim Harbaugh should be on that list.
1: <laughs> uh, look, he had an opportunity in Minnesota last year. They didn't hire him. He's had these opportunities, and after interviews, he has not been the preferred candidate. When he walked in, uh, appearing to to be the preferred candidate, you know, after he didn't get the Minnesota job, he essentially said, "I'm at Michigan for good." He's going to get suspended, by the way, just, uh, for the first four games I know. of this for the season.
2: First four games. It- Playing the little sisters that are poor in those games. Yeah, too.
1: Um, but he's yeah. you know Michigan's made two straight Final Four playoff trips. Uh, they've beaten Ohio State two times uh, in a row, um, and he is back you know in good graces with what is you know one of the true passionate fan bases in all of sports. Um,
2: if you want to, if you want to, I mean, this is a guy who's worn out, who wore out his welcome in San Francisco. And that's his reputation. Although he's been at Michigan for a long time, uh, so if you want a guy to make a a big impact and also be a good football coach, knowing that you'll probably fire him after four years uh, because you'll be sick of him, but still, you want to hit the ground running if you're the new owners, and you don't want to be stupid about it. But a a you know. Investing in a guy who could be a short-term hire, when I mean within like four or five years, a guy like Harbaugh who's such high-profile star power, I think it's worth a look.
1: Here's why I don't think Jim Harbaugh would be on the list. Uh, I think that... Josh Harris has already, you know, mentioned analytics and data. Everybody that has studied Josh Harris as the owner of the 76ers understands that guys like Hinkie and guys like Daryl Morey are the kinds of guys he likes. That's not Harbaugh. Um, Harbaugh is straight old school, and so is Rivera. You know, Rivera talks about analytics. I don't even think he understands what he's talking about um, when he discusses it. Um, I think he's going to be looking for, you know, a, 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 a Jeff Ireland or a Dimitrov type, somebody like that, um, to come in as a true general manager and then let that person find, you know, uh, a head coach that's a like mind with the GM and with the owner. That would be my guess, um, which actually is a good segue into the conversation you and I want to have, which is about Ron Rivera and this, you know, whether or not there's an opportunity for him to stick around. But we'll get to that in the next segment. But that I, I don't think that Harbaugh is a Josh Harris or whomever he hires as the general manager will be their kind of guy. That's just my guess.
2: You're probably right in that sense, in the football sense. But here's some analytics where it could make some, uh, some uh, sense. Without being a stupid hire. Okay, attendance in the stands, promoting the team mm-hmm.
1: True, you know? true.
2: I think I, I think a presence like Jim Harbaugh true would give them instant credibility uh, among their fa- among the fan base. And uh, it's not like you'd be hiring him just for that. He's a good football coach. yeah, let's make that clear, right right?
1: He okay. is He is Tommy, he is. He's won everywhere he has gone. Um sometimes I actually think that his brother is a better football coach. And I, I think John Harbaugh has been so underrated. Now I think he's been too much into the, you know, in-game 2.4 down analytics here over the last years. But, you know, basically getting sucked in by all of these people that don't understand that context and game situation have to play a big role in these decisions as well. And I've been critical of that with, with John Harbaugh. But, man, there's something about what he gets out of his teams. Um, and sometimes his brother has come up a bit short by the way, including against his brother in the Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. There there are a couple of Chiefs executives uh, that are going to be guys that get talked about for the upcoming season. Uh, Mike Borgonzi and Brant Tillis are two guys that have been working uh, in that organization uh, for a while now. Yeah. Um, there are some guys around the league. We'll, we'll see what happens with a guy like Ballard in Indianapolis if that works out with the new situation there. Um, I, I, and there are going to be some guys that that are going to be listed. I and, and you to figure out which guys make the most sense. I think we're going to have to look at the guys that are heavy on data, heavy on analytics, um, and speak that Josh Harris language that. Sam Hankey, that Daryl Morey language, even though I would argue that, you know, the NFL is completely different than the NBA when it comes to things like that. Um, but uh, anyway, I want to get to this conversation that I had on radio yesterday with you about Ron Rivera and what he'd need to do to stick around in 2024. We'll do that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. This segment of the show brought to you by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.com or MyBookie.ag. Use my promo code, KevinDC, to secure a first deposit bonus of $1,000, up to $1,000. By the way, uh, a week from today uh, will be the day after the first NFL preseason game. The Hall of Fame game is next Thursday. It's the Jets and the Browns. If you want to bet it, the Browns are one-and-a-half point favorites, and the total's 33-and-a-half. I doubt we'll see Deshaun Watson or Aaron Rodgers in this game, but think about this, Tommy. This is actually the last weekend without NFL football until the weekend after the Super Bowl. Well, I guess the you know weekend between the championship games and the Super Bowl, um, but... Starting next week, we've got a game on Thursday, and then the following week is week one, the first full week one of the preseason. So enjoy this final weekend without any NFL football. Technically, next weekend doesn't have football. It's a Thursday night game. Um, But go to mybookie.com, mybookie.ag. By the way, the over-under on Washington still at six and a half wins for the upcoming season. So... What does Ron Rivera need to do to come back in 2024? I'll let you answer it first, and then you can quantify it as part of your uh, answer, but I think it's a lot more than just a record. But go ahead. You take the first swing.
2: Well, you know, uh, I don't want to say win the division because he's already done that. Uh, with a Seven losing record. Yeah. Right. Uh, got to win a playoff game. Got to win a playoff game. I think he's got to get the double-digit wins. Is that it? It can't be an accidental. Yeah. What, 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 I mean, what else is there? You must have something in mind.
1: Well, I just thought I would get something a little bit deeper from you. What's, what's, so, <laughs> what's so difficult about it? Well, it's, I'll tell you why it's difficult. Because of what we were just talking about in the last segment. I don't think that Ron Rivera, more likely than not, is a good fit for Josh Harris. Ron Rivera is an old school coach. Remember, Tepper took over. Tepper was big into data and the whole thing. He kept Ron for that first year and then cut him loose when they fell to 5-7 and seven after they lost to Washington. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Um, in that second year... Ron Rivera is an old school coach. So is Jack Del Rio. The the, the staff is totally old school, including Bienemy. And I just see the only possibility. I, on radio yesterday, I said it's got to be double digit wins, ten wins minimum, and one playoff win. Um, and the other part of that would be—that's th- what I just said. I know, but but you, but that's all you said. Um, the other part of that would be. Ron has really proven to Josh that he's the guy that shares the vision for a sustained run, and the other part of that would be the quarterback that they got Sam Howell right, because you could go nine and eight or ten and seven and get into get into the postseason and win a game flukishly with Jacoby Brissett and that defense. But that isn't a future. That's not sustained winning with a chance to win the Super Bowl in the next three to five years. So I think there's a lot more than just the record. But the record is crucial because without the record and without a playoff appearance, well, then it's an easy decision for Josh. But I still think there's actually a way he could win 10, win a playoff game, and not be back if he's not the right fit, if Jacoby Brissett was the starting quarterback, if the quarterback question is still a question mark at the end of this upcoming season, which means... I'll
2: grant you that. The that quarterback the quarterback issue uh, is a big component of it. You're right about that.
1: That's, that's Ron's he, biggest mistake. He's got mistake. a track
2: record here of screwing it up every single year.
1: No doubt. Because you can and I've done this, and some of you have reached out and you have essentially told me that you have vomited in your mouth as I have said nice things about Ron Rivera the last couple of shows. Um, But you could make the case that this roster, as we said before, is the best overall roster that they've had in years. Okay, A lot of the best players understood were not selected um, by this particular group, but many of them have been. But Ron screwed up the quarterback year in and year out, and that's the biggest, you know, uh, negative in terms of Ron the GM. They haven't gotten the quarterback right, and by the way, he was adamant last year, before the Chicago game, about how right he was about Carson Wentz, and so yeah. he's messed that up, and really, you know, he messed up potentially the first opportunity he had in 2020 to get the quarterback because he gave in, I think, on the idea that Snyder wanted to see Dwayne Haskins through. And I don't believe that Ron Rivera was bought into Dwayne Haskins when he took the job. I'm not saying that he didn't think that there was a chance, but – what made that easy, by the way, or for for them in terms of justifiably, uh, you know, at any point in time, in the moment, Chase Young was considered to be the best pass rushing prospect coming out in the draft since probably Miles Garrett or Von Miller, and so no one. I wanted him to select Chase Young, and there was very little criticism of not picking Tua or Justin Herbert. I know some of you who are listening have said, you know, remember, Sheehan, I told you they needed to take Justin Herbert or Tua. You're right. You you turned out to be right. But the overall was, yeah, Chase Young was the right pick. Um, Obviously, you go back and redraft and you take Justin Herbert, you know. And it's not even a thought. Um, Anyway, I don't personally, I think, you know, this is Ron's last year as the head coach. Uh, I think it's definitely Ron's last year as the head football decision maker. He's not going to have both jobs this time next year. The only way that happens is if they, you know, go 12 and 5, 13 and 4 and they're, you know, in the Super Bowl or at least in the NFC Championship game. You know, that's the thing about, you know, Ron and the name. If if the Commanders and Ron Ron Rivera, if they end up being the surprise team of the NFL, and they win 13 games, win the division, have home field advantage, and go to the Super Bowl, Ron's staying, and so is the name more likely than not. (laughs) It's not saying I'm going to be sitting here rooting against... Them having a good season, but the truth is, they're not going to the Super Bowl this year. They're not anywhere near as good as Philadelphia or San Francisco or Dallas or four. Look, they, they, their six and a half number is there for a reason. Although, I kind yeah. of like the over again, like I did last year. And I won on their own. I've over always session. liked the
2: over. Every year that they've given it out for the past four or five years, I've picked the over. Yeah. Have you? Yes. Hmm. Because it's been seven and a half most years.
1: Right. Okay. Um, by the way, um, you know, talking about uh, the 2020 draft, I saw something a few weeks ago, and I'm trying to find it right now. Uh, USA Today did a redrafting of the 2020 draft, and there was something in there that totally surprised me. Um, and it was where Chase Young was picked. Washington was number two. Remember, Cincinnati picked Burrow. Uh, Still no word specifically on the injury to Burrow yesterday. Um, You know, it's non-contact. It's the calf. Uh, I haven't seen anything definitive on the injury. It doesn't seem like it's so serious, but who knows. Um, But Cincinnati, uh, you know, takes Burrow again. Washington takes, obviously, Justin Herbert. But what was surprising, and I'm trying to pull up that list here, is that Chase Young was picked, I think it was 7th, like, he only dropped to seven. Here it is. Uh, the redrafting 2020. This was in USA Today in uh, earlier this month. Joe Burrow 1, Justin Herbert to Washington 2, Justin Jefferson to Detroit 3. That makes sense because Okuda was the third pick there. Andrew Thomas to the Giants at 4. Jalen Hurts to Miami at 5, not Tua. Tua to the Chargers at 6. And Chase Young to the Panthers at seven. Seriously? I mean, he still has talent. I get it. But I thought I would have thought, when I saw that I'm like, I don't know, if I'm redrafting 2020, I, I am dropping Chase Young further down yeah. that list. Like, I'm, I'm looking at, at guys, you know, Jonathan Taylor, T. Higgins, uh, CeeDee Lamb, Trayvon Diggs, Tristan Wirfs, all were redrafted after Chase Young. Speaking of Chase Young, I did watch his presser with um, after practice yesterday, and he does seem to be as he was for the, the the mini camp that he showed up for. He seems to be super confident, and it seems like he wasn't super conv- confident. He was more hesitant last year. I'm really looking forward to seeing what kind of year Chase Young has because he is talented. I mean, he's talented. And if if there's there's growth maturity-wise and otherwise, uh, and he plays to the level that we thought he could play at and that he was playing at at the end of his rookie year, look out. This defense will be dominant. Dominant.
2: Yes, because yes, look what they did with, with Chase Young basically added a picture. Right guess
1: um guess who uh is on the semi-finalist list for the hall of fame uh joe Jacoby. we'll get to that and more including an unbelievable double header for shohei otani yesterday uh we'll get to all of that right after these words from a few of our sponsors
3: you won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Another day is here, and you're ready for
0: it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help.
1: All right, Tommy. Tell us about Shelley's.
2: Shelley's back room at thirteen thirty-one F Street Northwest. It's going to be pretty hot today, uh, and for the next couple of days. And I've always referred to Shelley's as an oasis, uh, and that's exactly what it is. Uh, you walk into Shelley's, you know, you've got this beautiful, uh, nice wooden panels all around you. These beautiful, comfortable. Uh, big cushion chairs and couches, uh, great lighting. Uh, it's the kind of place, you know, I used to like to go to the movies in the afternoon. Mm-hmm,
3: in by yourself? In the middle yourself. of the
2: afternoon, mm-hmm. on, sometimes on days like this, because I had the feeling that you could go in there and the world could end outside and you wouldn't know about
1: <laughs> it. You
2: know, because yeah. you were protected uh-huh. in this, in this because well, that's the way Shelley's is. You're protected in there. You're protected from the outside forces, and you're given a gift of the inside forces of great liquor, great food, and the best cigars you can find anywhere. Uh, Shelley's Back Room at 1331 F Street, Northwest, in the District. You can find more about them. Go to shellysbackroom.com.
1: Rate us and review us on Apple and Spotify if you get a chance. It's really helpful for us. It takes 30 seconds. You could pause the podcast right now if you haven't rated us and reviewed us. Uh, five stars, a quick one to two sentences is really helpful. This uh, from Muhammad uh, who gave us five stars and titled his review, Kevin and Hemingway. <laughs> Kevin, as a listener from two 2000- thousand. And Eleven, from 2011, who has never called in, it was great to meet you on Thursday at the bullpen. Yeah, there were a lot of our listeners there, Tommy. I wish you had been with me. Um, I appreciate your hospitality and speaking with all of your listeners. I will never understand people who say the name doesn't matter, such as the listener, Evan, who wrote you this week. Perhaps it wouldn't matter in another city, in any other city, but it means something here because the Redskins meant something. People act like Commanders is replacing some generic name, but it's a Attempting to hold the same weight as one of the greatest sports brands of all time and failing miserably in its attempt. Anyways, I'm really looking forward to Tom's return this week and getting his thoughts on the ownership change. The aura of self-destruction is over. Keep doing what you do and I hope to hang out with you and hopefully Tom next time as well. Thank you very much, uh, Muhammad for that. Uh, review. Uh, I really appreciate it. This from ski By the way, perfect name for this week because it is excessively hot. Uh, third generation <laughs> fan gave us five stars on Apple. I've been a Washington fan since my first game at RFK in, in 1970 when I was three. My family had season tickets for over 70 years. Win or lose, I will always be a fan. Kevin Sheehan is the kind of football genius that makes following this team fun and informative, even through all the ups and downs. I never miss a show. Tommy, that's a first. Thank you very much, Heatsky. I'm a football genius. Maybe they should hire me to be the general manager of the team next year. <laughs> uh, that was very nice. You,
2: did, you haven't written a letter asking them to do that yet, have you?
1: No, but you know what? Scott always makes fun of me um, for a letter. I think I've told this story before. I'm I'm sure I've told this story before. So, Norv Turner was the coach. It was, you know, 1996 or 97 or whatever, and they were down. um, They were uh, they were down by um, one point uh, and had no timeouts left, and the other team was running regular plays. Well, we now know, you know, some 25 years later, well, you try to let them score. And then you're down eight, and you get the ball back, and you actually have a chance, right? And Norv was had his defense tackling people as the clock ran out, and they lost by a point. So I sent via Federal Express a letter uh, to Norv Turner. And Scott, to this day, still makes fun of me. He's, he's like, you're a clown. You think he's going to read that letter? What are you doing? Like, he's a foot... He, he's getting paid millions. You're just on your couch watching. And I said, still, I'm right. Like, I am right, and I'm going to write this letter to him. So I wrote a letter to Norv Turner, and instead of mailing it, I Federal Expressed it, thinking, well, he'll get it, because it's being sent Federal Express. And I explained to him that in that particular game, if he had just let them score, he would have gotten the ball back with an actual chance to tie the game with a touchdown and a two-point conversion. Um, And all I got back maybe like three months later was this form letter from, you know, signed with stamped signature of Norv Turner saying, thank you so much for being a great fan. Thanks for your interest. Go Redskins! Exclamation point. So that's all I got. Well, you
2: needed, you needed Norv to be like George Allen. Right. Remember, Charlie Cassley wrote to all NFL teams asking for a job. Now, Charlie Castley was a high school football coach right. at the time. Yes. And he wrote to all NFL teams uh, asking for a, any kind of job, anything, you know. And I think there were two. I think Chuck Knox was one of them, maybe. I could be wrong about that. But George Allen was another one. And basically, George Allen gave him an unpaid internship yeah. job. Yeah. And uh, he, Charlie parlayed it into being NFL general manager, not only here in Washington, but in Houston. Right. So that, that's what you, you needed Norv to have a little bit more George Allen in him. Say, Kevin, you can come here. I can't pay it, <laughs> But here's a broom.
1: Maybe I should have sent it to Charlie. That's probably – I should have sent it to Charlie Casserly. Because Charlie may have appreciated that, or yes, or he they would have, as, yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, so Joe Jacoby made it to the next step, um, which is a semifinalist for the senior committee uh, for the class of 2024. That's not this year's class. Okay, this year's class gets inducted next week um you know with the uh, hall of fame game uh, which we'll watch between the jets and, and the browns we'll watch at least a series or two of it um but um the next step is for the committee to meet in august to select up to three senior candidates the finalists will be part of the class of 2024 if they are supported by at least 80 percent of the voters uh there are 12 candidates that the, the list was whittled down to. The, those candidates include Roger Craig, Ken Anderson, who I think you can make the case, should be in the Hall of Fame, Randy Gratishar, Otis Taylor, Tommy, uh, Art Powell, Maxie Bond, Joe Jacoby, Albert Lewis, Steve McMichael, uh, Eddie Medor, Sterling Sharp, and Al Wistert. Those are for the senior uh, part of the Hall of Fame. So, Look, I think Jake's going to eventually get in. I do. And I hope it's this coming class. You know, if there are three out of this list, if they're going to whittle this list down to three, I think it's Ken Anderson, Otis Taylor, and Joe Jacoby. Those would be the three. By the way, Mike Shanahan and Marty Schottenheimer um, both uh, ended up making the next stage for... Uh, the contributors and coaches uh, entry into the 2024 Hall of Fame, so they've advanced uh, in the Hall of Fame consideration as well. And we've been through this, but you know, to me, Schottenheimer and Shanahan both belong in the Hall of Fame. And Ian I agree. Ian sent me something um, a few weeks ago saying, who?
2: "I'm not uh, familiar with this individual."
1: Ian, longtime caller, he calls all the time. He used I'm, to call. I don't us. remember
2: who he is.
1: Oh, that's right. You had a beef with him. Sorry. Well, uh, um, this guy Joe sent me uh, sent me this note about Schottenheimer saying Schottenheimer doesn't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. You've got to have won. You've got to have at least gotten to a Super Bowl to be in the Hall of Fame. And I pointed out that Don Coryell is in the Hall of Fame and Don Coryell yeah. never went to the Super Bowl either. Um, I don't think that that's a prerequisite. Marty is seventh all-time in wins. He's top ten all-time win percentage. It's his playoff record, obviously, that has held him back. Everybody knows that. But Marty was, for his generation of coaches, one of the most respected coaches and one of the best coaches in in the game for multiple decades. And Mike Shanahan, beyond the fact that he's won two Super Bowls, was truly an innovator in the game as well. You know, all of this discussion about the running backs, you know, and running backs being devalued, and people talk about, you know, when did that begin? It it began with Mike Shanahan after Terrell Davis retired, and Mike Shanahan was was using guys like Olandis Gary and Tatum Bell, and eventually Alfred Morris and Ryan Terrain, who were running for big yards in the zone run scheme which Alex Gibbs was a big part of with Mike Shanahan as well. So I think both of those men uh, deserve Hall of Fame consideration, and hopefully Jake will get in as well. I, I really hope it's I, – I, I don't want to continue to have this conversation about Jake. Randy White and, and Lawrence Taylor, who are two of the greatest NFL players at their positions in history, to me, Lawrence Taylor is the greatest football player of my lifetime – the greatest NFL player, offense or defense of my lifetime. Both of them have said Joe Jacoby is a Hall of Fame tackle, period. Yes. Uh, yes. So I just a- –
2: Absolutely. You know, and I'm going to make this commitment now. I'm not going to put you on the spot to make the same commitment. If Jake gets in the Hall of Fame, I'm going out there.
1: I'll go with you. I've never been to Canton, okay. so that would be one of the reasons I'd want to do it. But if Jake gets in, we're going. We're going. Yes. It might. By the way, it might be one year from today. Yes. Good luck, Jake. Absolutely. Um, so, a uh, couple of other quick things. Um, Colorado's leaving the Pac-12 for the Big 12. The the Pac-12 is going to disappear, people. I mean. The Pac-8, the Pac-10, the Pac-12, UCLA and USC are gone, and now Colorado, who was you know not a, a long-time uh, uh, Pac-12 member, uh, now the discussion is Arizona State and Arizona potentially to the Big 12. We've already heard the discussion about Oregon, West Coast college football, the Pac-12. You know, it's late October, early November, starting to get cold on the East Coast. The, the sun's already down and it's 445 in the afternoon. And there on ABC is UCLA against Oregon from the, from, from the, from the Rose Bowl. Or USC in the Coliseum against Arizona. And we're, we're still going to have those schools playing football. But they're going to be playing football in different leagues. And the Pac-12 is going to cease, I think, um, to be a Power 5 conference. Just, I hate all of this. I hate all of it. Colorado moving is not a big deal because Colorado has been a bit of a vagabond anyway. But no Pac-12? The Pac-12 basically becoming a nothing league? I mean... Who's going to be left? Washington, Washington State, Stanford, Cal, maybe one of the Arizona schools, maybe one of the Oregon schools. I mean, it is going to be small time. Utah, I guess. Anyway, weird,
2: the there's whole no, thing. There, there's a lost sense of tradition in college football these days.
1: Totally lost, and yet it's still so great. when yeah. It's still... Yeah. The greatest sprint of a regular season in all of sports for me. The college football regular season. And I think it'll still feel this way when the playoff is expanded. I, I don't think that the expansion of the playoff is going to mean much because these games are still going to be significant games. They won't be elimination games, but they will late in the season from one of those spots. But it starts, you know, Labor Day weekend, actually the weekend before. um, And it's over, uh, you know, with the conference championship weekend in early December. And it is great. I I mean, I've said this for years and I am being totally honest and sincere. I think I like college football just a little bit more than pro football. Saturdays to me are better than Sundays. And I love Sundays. But, man, college football is great. And, yeah, there is a sense of, well, where are they now? You know, we've had this for a while. Yeah. um, But it's really going to be weird when UCLA and USC are playing Maryland, you know, in a Big Ten game. By the way, the Terps are going to be good in football this year. Locks is going to – he's got uh, his best team coming back. Um, he, they've won two straight bowl games. Uh, I'm looking forward to Maryland football, uh, this year. Uh, I think,
2: that, I think he'll be good as well. Yeah. So he's done a better job than I thought he would have
1: done a great job. And yeah. once UCLA and USC enter the league, they will go away from the divisions and the schedule will become more manageable. They won't get Michigan, Ohio state, Penn state every single year. Um, that's been really, really difficult uh, in the Big Ten for them. So how about Otani in a doubleheader wow. yesterday, Tommy? <laughs> he pitched a shutout in the first game and then hit two home runs in the second
2: game. A one-hitter, I think. I think it was a one-hitter.
1: It was a one-hit shutout in the first game yes. yesterday. And he then hit two bombs in the second game are you kidding me this is the first time anything like this has ever happened
2: yes that this is this is beyond the scope of imagination this is this is unprecedented uh, there's no comparable to this we i mean it's uh, i just wish it was on a bigger stage i just wish there was more attention being paid to it uh, because it's so such a remarkable task and and like I like I said, what I would have done. The Angels did not trade Otani. They decided to go all in on on a run to make the wild card oh. and the playoff. Well,
1: it's not they over just traded yet. For Lucas, I Gialito. know, I know, because huh? of, because of the Giolito trade, you were that that means they're not trading Otani. They're going for it this year.
2: Right, and and I've adopted a philosophy, and it's totally arbitrary, that if your team is within five games of a wild card at the trade deadline, mm-hmm. then you want them to compete for that wild card. Don't raise the white flag when your team is only five games out of a wild card spot in on August 1st.
1: Okay, I'm looking at the standings right now. Um, five games out in the American League wild card race are the Cleveland Guardians, and they are a game over 500. Uh the Cubs are four games out and then the Padres are six and a half games out, they're five games under five hundred. So the Padres you would be you would be okay if they're a seller, um yes. but you would not Padres be okay if out. the Cubs are a seller.
2: No. Yeah. Okay. No, that's my and and the reason I that's the that's the number I came up with from when the Orioles in ninety six were five games out of the what was then only the second year of yeah. the wild card. Yeah. And Pat Gillick, who I respect tremendously, was was ready to break the team up and trade for some prospects uh, because they were he was used to competing for division titles. And Peter Angelos, the only time of his life in baseball, said, "No, we're not going to break them up." And they were about five games out of the wild card. So I think that's that's my arbitrary number.
1: Um. I watched the Nats game and, and then the rains came in the 8th and I actually um you know looked at the uh result this morning I didn't uh, I didn't stick around for the the resumption of the game but man they have been playing well Josiah Gray oh. pitched awesome last night um Dickerson had an unbelievable catch uh in the outfield CJ Abrams except for the last at bat had some really really good at bats again uh they're really you know they had one seven of nine coming in, um, and they lost a two one uh, decision on a sack fly um, last night uh, late uh, in Queens. But good on the Nats that they are um, really pesky as a team with some you know with that, that young talent that everybody hoped would be the foundation for something down the road. Uh, really proving itself. So I'll ask you, uh, with the trade deadline a few days away, who's getting dealt? Candelario, Thomas, who's getting dealt?
2: Candelario is getting dealt. Okay. Okay, he's their most tradable commodity. Uh, Thomas, my position is the same, I think, as Mike Rizzo's, in that you know if he gets an offer that he can't refuse for Thomas, he'll take it. Okay, otherwise they'll hang on to Thomas, who's under contract for two more years. Okay, which makes him attractive. He's under control of whatever team has him. You know, the question of Thomas is: uh, is he at his peak? Is this the best Thomas can be, or is this how Thomas will continue the rest of his career? Uh, either way, unless you get a deal that knocks your socks off, you hang on to this guy because even if even if He has shown that even if this isn't his best year, he's good enough, like I said, to be a fourth outfielder on a pennant contending team and would be a valuable commodity to have. So I wouldn't trade Thomas unless they had a great offer, but I think Candelario's going. Maybe one or uh, or two of the relief pitchers, Hunter Harvey, uh, somebody else will be going. So the Nats are playing just great, just in time to lose some of their key parts uh for the rest of the season. But you talked about like CJ Abrams has really broken out. Oh yeah. You know? And and he's he is the shortstop of the future. Uh there are two young pitchers. Here we are on the brink of August and Josiah Gray is still pitching outstanding baseball. You know uh I, I think what what would he pitch six innings of shutout ball yesterday maybe yeah. or I forget what it was.
1: Yeah yeah uh, he was great.
2: And and Mackenzie Gore Awesome well, too. He pitches
1: tomorrow, against, you know, I think, so, against Scherzer, or is it tonight? I don't I'm, I'm, know. I'm looking. I think he's matched up against uh, Max tonight. Tonight it's yeah. Gore against so, against Max uh, Scherzer.
2: I mean, Calvert-Ruiz Calbert has been a you. bit of a disappointment, I think, for them. Uh, and the jury's down on him. But three added, back, and, and and you've got Luis Garcia at second – You've got four out of their five real prospects on that team that have uh, been performing well for them. That's a pretty good hit so far. I think they're going to be pretty competitive next year depending on who owns the team, depending on which ownership is committed to spending money to complement these young players. They can't go through another season of an $80 million payroll open to compete. Uh you know, you you've got to you got to bring in some talent to surround these young players and the young players like a James Woods who and and uh and Cade Cavalli yeah. Yeah. who may be coming up next year.
1: Um, CJ Abrams is hitting three thirty eight and he's got a three ninety eight on base percentage in the month of July. I mean the the yeah. those numbers would put him in the top he's three four out. in the entire uh, major leagues. If he was, if that was first season, he's really broken out. Um, all right. Look, you gotta. You, you, you're heading out. When are you heading out? Tomorrow. When oh, do you leave?
2: Monday morning. You're leaving
1: Monday morning. Monday. So theoretically, we could do a podcast together on Sunday. Uh, one last show. <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> um, where are you going? I forget. You're going somewhere north, right?
2: I'm going somewhere north of Madrid, a town called Las Navias. Mm-hmm. It's a small mountain town. Right. Maybe about a half an hour away from Segovia, an hour from Madrid. It's the kind of place where people go to escape the hot summer of Madrid. Right. Uh and uh there's a lot of my wife's relatives who who spend their summers in this town, and that's what we're gonna do. We got a huge house, uh I've got a beer keg on tap that'll be waiting for me when I get there courtesy of one of Liz's cousins who owns one of the two bars in town. Oh, really? <laughs> and I hope to do a little bit of writing, not newspaper writing, but you know, my own little project kind of writing. How's and, that going? Uh, How is
1: the how's the screenplay, the treatment thing going for your
2: it's not a treatment. Oh, it's a screenplay. Oh,
1: it, it, the screenplay. How's the screenplay uh, coming along? And is Howard helping?
2: Well, Howard is is out of the country right now. I think right. as he you is. know. Yes. So so he's he's you know got got things on his plate. He's a very busy man, but uh, he has some in his possession, and he has had discussions with them, and you know, look, I got a lottery ticket, and uh, they haven't picked the winner yet. Okay.
1: All right. Uh I I I'm praying for that. I mean, I I think I would certainly be invited to the uh to the Emmy Awards or to is it in is it a TV show or is it a movie? I forget.
2: It's a movie. It's a yeah. movie. You'll be invited to the red carpet premiere.
1: Yeah, that's what I want to make sure uh, I get an invite to. Um, and then, yeah, I, no,
2: I, I'm going to be working on.
1: would like another screenplay. I'd like a mention. I'd like a mention when you um, when you get your Academy Award uh, when you're listing all the people that that help get you there. Just, you just. No, I will. <laughs> all right, we're done for the day. Have a good weekend. Back on Monday, Tommy. Have a great trip.
2: All right, boss.